1: In 2018, a record setting $100,000 was paid for a pair of vintage Levi's blue jeans at auction. The pants made in 1888 when Levi Strauss and Company was just 17 years old, originally belonged to Solomon Warner, an American businessman who was living in the Arizona territory when the Civil War broke out. The jeans, which he only wore a few times, had been carefully packed in a trunk and preserved by his family for 125 years. So why were these pants important enough for this kind of treatment? And why did they fetch such a high price at auction? To answer those questions, we need to learn more about the invention of riveted blue jeans. I'm Kelly Barner, the host of Dial P for Procurement here on Supply Chain Now. And I love history. Where did things come from? Who invented them? Why? Perhaps more importantly, what else was going on in the world at the time these innovations became reality? If you enjoy the unique blend of storytelling and business history that Scott Luton and I whip up for you on This Week in Business History, please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast and share a review that will help others find us. With that said, let's get back to this week's story. The date is May 20th, 1873. Levi Strauss and Jacob Davis have been awarded a patent for improvement in fastening pocket openings. Although we think of Levi's today as being about jeans, The pants were actually referred to as waist overalls or overalls until the 1960s. But it wasn't the pants themselves that earned that patent. What actually put them and their company on the map were the rivets strategically placed to increase the durability of the garment when they were worn for hard labor. Levi Strauss owned a dry goods store in San Francisco, California. He was making a great living selling clothing, fabric and basic food items like tea, sugar and grain to people moving west. It was his family's business and his West Coast offshoot was based upon the success of the business his brothers had built up in New York. There were already 117 dry goods stores in San Francisco. So why was Levi's successful? Well. You've come to the right place if you've guessed supply chain. Many of the other stores had difficulty finding sources of goods to put on their shelves. But not Levi. He had a steady source of goods from his brothers on the East Coast. One of Strauss's regular customers was Jacob Davis, a Latvian-born tailor who was based in Reno, Nevada. Now, he relied upon Strauss's dry goods business to buy his fabric wholesale. One day, a woman in Reno walked into his shop, approached him and asked him if he could try to reinforce her husband's pants so they wouldn't fall apart quite so easily. He experimented and came up with the idea of putting copper rivets at the stress points. The idea was a hit and it was Jacob Davis's invention. The problem was, he did not have the $69 necessary to patent that innovation, and that is why he reached out to Strauss. Strauss put up the money, Davis provided the design, and both men were named on the patent. Davis would stitch a double yellow line on the back pocket of the pants to distinguish his product from the competition even with help from seamstresses working out of their homes demand quickly outpaced what Davis could produce by hand and so Strauss invested once again and built a factory to increase their output among their core customer groups were railroad workers miners and farmers now one small misconception that persists is that Levi's whether you call them jeans or overalls became popular because they were worn during the gold rush. Now the move of people west was certainly part of this whole timeline. However, jeans were not available during the gold rush. Denim wasn't used for work pants until 1870 and the gold rush ended in 1855. So there was a 15 year gap between the end of the gold rush and when denim came into common use for work pants. Now, although Jacob Davis's name isn't usually associated with conversations about modern jeans and denim, he actually spent the rest of his life working with Strauss. Davis moved his whole family from Reno to San Francisco, and he ran the factory that Strauss built for the rest of his life. He passed away in 1908 and actually outlived Levi Strauss by six years. Strauss passed away in 1902 and left a $6 million estate behind, which included his company, and he left it to his four nephews. Today, that inheritance would be worth $140 million. Now, if the story ended there, it might seem like an overly smooth entrepreneurial journey. But we all know that's never the reality. Strauss and Davis faced plenty of challenges. One of the big ones took place in 1890. That is when the patent for their rivets expired. At that point, branding was the best way for Levi Strauss to protect their market share. They also wanted to innovate. And one of the features they added that year is still in wide use today. Do you know the little tiny pocket inside the front pocket on your jeans? The one that's too small to use or even get your hand inside? Levi's added that pocket, which was meant for a pocket watch, in 1890. 1890 was also the year we got 501s. That is the Levi's product number that designates their copper riveted jeans. They originally also had 201s, which were less expensive and eventually phased out. The next challenge to hit the Levi Strauss company was much bigger than having a patent go into the public domain. It was the 1906 earthquake and fire that hit San Francisco. The Levi Strauss headquarters building was destroyed, along with about 500 city blocks. Before we move forward into later innovations from Levi Strauss, let's pause for a little context. The patent for the riveted jeans was awarded in 1873 and it stayed in effect until 1890, by which time the jeans were wildly popular among working class people on the West Coast. So what else was going on in the country at the same time? Believe it or not, it was the Gilded Age. The Rockefellers, Vanderbilts, and Astors ruled polite society in New York and Newport between the end of the Civil War and the turn of the 20th century. If you can, join me for a little experiment in imagination. Try to picture Caroline Astor, the grand dame of the Gilded Age, standing next to a railroad worker or a farmer in his Levi's waist overalls. It almost seems anachronistic, but they were happening at the same time. There's a Levi's ad from a decade or so ago that reads, this country was not built by men in suits. There's a reason we call those years the Gilded Age and not the Golden Age. The guilt was just on the surface. It was hard-working Americans that built this country and many of them did it in Levi's jeans. Of course, the other way we can take that quote is to say this country was not built by men in suits. I'm selfishly glad that jeans were the style that caught on rather than Gilded Age dresses. Can you imagine recording a podcast or typing on a laptop in one of those things? And societal changes bringing women into the workforce would not go unnoticed by the Levi Strauss company. If Manifest Destiny and the Push West led men to pull on a pair of Levi's, World War I did the same for women. In 1918, Levi's unveiled women's Freedom Alls. Podcasts aren't the best place for visuals, so I'd encourage you to give these an image search, but here is my best attempt at a description. Freedom Alls were a two-piece suit. The pants were a bit baggy through the thigh and tightened near the ankle so they could be worn with tight buttoned ladies boots. They were called trousers and this part is awful. They had a drop seat. Seriously, fashion faux pas. The top part of the suit was long and belted at the waist. Freedom Alls were available in what was called heavy khaki and also cotton. The cotton was available in blue, pink and green. The tops were solid and the pants were striped in a color to match the top. Just as interesting as the prospect of wearing baggy striped pants was the company's approach to advertising. Things were opening up for women. But Levi Strauss Company took a novel approach to showing their pants in action. Ads did show women doing housework, which is what you would expect. But they also showed them doing some less expected things like hiking, driving cars, or out in nature taking pictures. As much as the imagery liberated their target customers, it was not enough to make them take leave of their senses and wear this outfit. Freedom Alls did not catch on. If you need a detail as to why, please reference my earlier comment about the drop seat. They were removed from the Levi Strauss product line about a year after they joined it. But the Levi Strauss company was not giving up on this new untapped market. In 1934, Levi's unveiled Lady Levi's, They were the first jeans designed in the spirit of what was made for men, but designed exclusively for women's bodies. In the 1930s, wearing pants was frowned upon for women, no matter what task you were doing, so it was an edgy move for Levi's. Fortunately, Lady Levi's did not involve stripes or a drop seat, and this time the garment caught on. By 1935, just two years after their introduction, Lady Levi's appeared in vogue, and that was that. Now, I started this week's episode by telling you about Solomon Warner, the Arizona businessman whose Levi's jeans were preserved so well for 125 years that they sold for around $100,000 in 2018. His story is emblematic of Americans at the time. The pants have a 44-inch waist and a 37-inch inseam, so Solomon was not a small man. He survived being shot by Apache Indians in 1870 and opened the first dry goods store in Tucson, Arizona, back when only about a 1,000 people lived there. The pants were preserved in large part because they were stored in a cedar chest, keeping away moths all that time. Once they were rediscovered by his great-great-grandson, Jock Taylor, a number of factors confirmed how old the pants really were. Even though most of Levi Strauss's company records were destroyed in the 1906 earthquake, A few dates are widely known and can be used to date these vintage garments. Levi's began covering its rivets with denim in 1937. So because the rivets on Solomon's jeans are exposed, we know they are older than that. Next test. Belt loops weren't introduced until 1922. Before that, there would have been buttons for attaching suspenders. These pants have the suspender buttons, so that places them before 1922. Best of all, they only have a single back pocket. Levi's didn't introduce that second back pocket until 1901. So these jeans are 19th century for sure. There's a lot of history in those pants, just like there's a lot of history that went into making of the Levi Strauss company. On that note, it is time to wrap up this edition of This Week in Business History. Thank you so much for tuning into the show each week. Don't forget to check out the wide variety of industry thought leadership available at supplychainnow.com. As a friendly reminder, you can find This Week in Business History wherever you get your podcast from. And be sure to tell us what you think. We would love to earn your review, and we encourage you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. On behalf of the entire team here at This Week in Business History and Supply Chain Now, this is Kelly Barner wishing you all nothing but the best. We'll see you next time here on This Week in Business History.